The cross-examination of Mr. Y, of course, covers the same ground as his questioning by his own defence barrister. However, the prosecution can't allude to anything about Mr. Y's prior history. The defence had laid before the jury the sub-story that he and his family fled Afghanistan after his sister was shot and killed by the Taliban. Clearly a tragedy, but not one that makes it okay to be a rapist. And in any case, this happened when Mr. Y was only six, and at the time of the rape he was 19, so a lot of years have passed and it's clear those years, or at least some of them, must have been spent in a safe EU country, otherwise Mr. Y and his parents would not have had paperwork that would enable them to fly to Dublin and from there to London to make their bogus asylum claim. The defence didn't, of course, enlighten the jury to the fact that Mr. Y and his parents fled from the Covid detention centre in Dublin and that their immigration status in the UK is recorded as illegal, absconded. Oh no, the defence didn't do this and the prosecution can't do this. It's only B's personal history that is up for grabs and open to all. At the start of her cross-examination, the prosecution barrister goes through the chain of events on the night of the rape, just as the defence did. There are times when I feel she should press Mr Y for a fuller answer, or should interrogate the answer he does give more deeply. I have to keep reminding myself that she knows what she's doing. She's the expert. Have faith. I can't face going over again here all the details of the rape, what he subjected my daughter to, the lies he tells about what happened and what he did. But one thing I will say is that my conviction remains that he acted the way he did because he's watched endless porn online and thinks that forcing a random woman on the street to have sex is a perfectly normal and acceptable thing to do. I also note that the only word Mr Y knows for having sex is fuck. He uses the word repeatedly, in English, as if it's the normal way that normal English-speaking people refer to the process. He doesn't seem to realise that it's a nasty word. I feel sorry for the interpreter having to keep repeating it. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. There is some information we haven't heard before in what the prosecution barrister goes over. Or maybe we just missed it when there's so much to take in. Mr Wise's claim is that, whilst he was waiting at the bus stop, he saw B leave her friend and then fall over, and he rushed to her to help her up. She had dropped her phone and was upset that the screen was broken, and he offered to get it fixed in his cousin's phone shop. But Mr Wise's number is entered under the name Baby on B's phone just 17 seconds after he is seen on the CCTV footage hot-footing it after her up the hill. Her phone calls his, and from this call her number is stored on his phone, also under the name Baby, just seconds later. This is nowhere near long enough for the conversation and sequence of events he describes to have happened. I really hope the jury understands the significance of this. The prosecution barrister reiterates all the unanswered calls that Mr Y made to be, 11 between 2 and 3.30am, often only seconds apart, and more the next morning from different phones once he realised that she had blocked his number. There were also text messages and no-caller ID calls. She recaps the change of his WhatsApp profile picture from a selfie to a car, the changing of his SIM cards and phone number. She goes over his return to the scene of the crime and his conversation with the police officer on guard, and his multiple searches over a two-and-a-half-day period for local news that he had never made before. In return, Mr Y now tries to claim that B's accusation is a case of mistaken identity, 
that in fact the two black-clad youths that Nicky had spotted on her way to her nan's were responsible, that he and B had consensual sex, and that then, after he had left, she was raped by someone else. It's nonsensical. Surely even he must see this. What I learned from watching Mr. Y under questioning and cross-examination is that if you just keep talking, coming up with a reason and excuse for everything, it is very befuddling for those who are listening. I'm not sure he's intelligent enough for me to credit him with a deliberate strategy here, but if he has one, this might be it. Finally, after numerous breaks and interruptions and delays, we get to the bit I believe will be crucial in the jury's decision-making, the conspiracy to pervert the course of justice, the evidence that would not exist if I had not repeatedly insisted the police do their job properly. The cross-examination goes like this. Prosecution Barrister On that day in September, you called your fiancée, Miss X, numerous times. You asked her to go to the street where the Canning family live. Mr. Y. Yes. Prosecution. You wanted her to speak to B about the rape complaint. Mr. Y. Yes, because I think we had a misunderstanding. Prosecution. Did you give Miss X specific instructions on what to say to Beatrice and her family? Mr. Y. Yes, that's why I sent her there. Prosecution. Do you agree that these are the comments you made when speaking to Miss X from your prison cell? Comment 1. Go to the house and speak to Beatrice. Mr. Y. Yes. Comment 2. Ask for whatever money they want. We will pay it to get me out of prison. Mr. Y. Yes, I'd been in prison for a long time and nothing was really happening. Prosecution. You were telling Miss X to speak to the family to offer them money if the complaint was withdrawn. Mr. Y. Yes, because there must have been a misunderstanding. Comment 3. Tell Beatrice she might have misunderstood my identity. Whatever we had was consensual. Prosecution. You said Beatrice was mistaken that it was you. Mr. Y. Could be, yes. Comment 4. Tell her she's misunderstood and the suspect rang her. Your guy didn't fuck her. It was oral only, mainly oral only. In the vagina, it was only a very short time. The prosecution barrister repeatedly presses Mr. Y on what he means here and eventually the judge also intervenes. Judge. You are saying that Beatrice misunderstood and that you and she had oral sex only. Mr. Y. Yes. Fuck never happened. It did went in, then suddenly I took it back. Not proper sex. Judge. You do know that fuck means vaginal intercourse. Mr. Y. Yes, I know that. Prosecution. So you accept that you had vaginal intercourse. Is that right? Mr. Y. Yes. Prosecution. Now you've agreed, do you accept that your claim that you only had oral sex is a lie? Mr. Y. What happened was only briefly, so maybe you can say that line was a lie. Comment 5. Tell her whatever took place is consensual. The police officer told me that CCTV cameras recorded everything. Prosecution. Is it true that a police officer told you there was CCTV footage of your contact with Beatrice? Mr. Y. I knew there was a camera, but I didn't know directly if we would get that footage. 
Comment 6. Tell her that the solicitor has seen the CCTV and it clearly shows it was consensual. Tell Beatrice that she may not remember, but CCTV will confirm it. Prosecution. Is it a lie that your solicitor had seen CCTV footage? Mr. Y. Yes, I lied about the solicitor seeing the footage, but if the CCTV is produced, we'll see that everything is true. A reminder, listeners, police have categorically asserted that no such CCTV footage exists or ever has. Comment 7. Tell Beatrice to go to the police and withdraw the statement. If she is asked whether someone told her to do this, she is to say no. She will be fined £200 for making a false statement, but we will pay. Prosecution. You wanted Beatrice to tell the police she had made a mistake so you could get out of prison. Mr. Y. All I'm saying is that it was consensual. I want to view it on camera. Comment 8. Tell her that as well as paying the fine, we will give her a phone. Prosecution. You wanted to offer Beatrice a phone if she withdrew her rape allegation. Mr. Y. Yes, because I did not want to stay in prison. Comment 9. Go for it. I'll be present on the line. Press the doorbell and go inside. Prosecution. You wanted your girlfriend to go into the house and speak to Beatrice. Mr. Y. Yes, because I didn't do anything wrong. And now we come to comment 10, the final one that the judge has allowed the jury to hear out of the 50 plus pages of phone transcripts from that one day in September alone. It is so ridiculous that despite the horror, it makes me want to laugh out loud. Comment 10. Beatrice is young. She can't make the decision. Speak to the mother as she is older and she can make the decision. I want to look at the jury and see if they are looking at me and wondering how that conversation panned out, but I don't dare for fear of the judge. A jury member sends a question to the judge about how this crime came to light, and they are told from information given to the police by the family. They are left, I presume, believing that Miss X really did ring on our doorbell and ask to speak to me. They don't know that in fact Miss X saw Iris walking down the street and believing her to be B, spoke to her instead. I run through in my mind what on earth I would have done if Miss X had turned up on my doorstep with Mr Y on the phone and tried to have that conversation with me. I imagine a scenario where I manage to dial 999 and the police come and catch Miss X red-handed and Mr Y on the phone to her. I want to believe that I'd have had the presence of mind to deal with this situation but I'm not sure that I would. I think I'd have been so terrified, I don't know what I would have done. At the end of all of this, I just find it astonishing. The whole thing is astonishing. Lie upon lie upon lie. And in the middle of it all, my Beatrice, telling the truth, hoping to be believed. (laughs) 